0: is real.
1: There's power in Your name. with find hope we trust in Your ways. We believe. Jesus is real.
0: These ways that they're separating themselves unto God, as opposed to the way the world lives, and in a lot of ways. This is the struggle, the perpetual struggle of the life of the follower of Jesus in every generation is what does it look like for us to be different from the culture in which we live, but not isolated from it in a way that we can impact it for the cause of the kingdom.
1: For all the generations of believers, past to present, the struggle has been the same. How do you live differently from the culture of the time without losing your ability to engage people. Today, Pastor Daniel shares that this is the perpetual struggle. When you begin a relationship with the Lord, you set yourself apart from the world and the way you used to live. But God wants you to maintain some connection so that you can impact the people around you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Nehemiah chapter 10 as he begins his message, Seal the Covenant.
0: joys of having three kids, a middle schooler, a high schooler, and an elementary schooler, and a mom and a dad is negotiating what you're going to watch on TV. You know, it's like we, we resisted that idea of people putting TVs in their own rooms because we figured that there's more joy that, and chaos that happens in the, in the negotiation. And so it's been funny watching as our family has tried to figure out like, okay, so what are we going to watch and uh, it's interesting that we ended up landing one of our favorite TV shows that we watch is a program called Shark Tank. How many of you guys know Shark Tank? Now, if you don't know it, it's not Shark Week or something where people are jumping in a shark tank. It's literally the sharks are these uh, investors. And, and the whole show is people coming and they're pitching their business and, and they're pitching them to investors. And it's really wild because it's like, you know, you might think to yourself, wait, so like isn't your Annabelle like really young? Yeah, but Annabelle's totally like CEO material. Like seriously, like when Annabelle was like three years old, she was at this like play area and, 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 and she was like telling all the kids like trying, she was like organizing everyone and this dad looks over at my wife and says, she's CEO material, (laughs) you know? And so, and so, but it's a cool show because it's like, there's these people who've developed these businesses and, and, and they're all these different projects. And then they pitch their business to these five investors. And then the five investors can decide, do I want to invest in them or do I not want? And they ask them all these questions. And now for me as a parent, I feel like it's kind of a cool thing because like they're learning about business and they're learning about all these different things. And it's better than just like watching something that maybe they're not learning things that I want them to learn. Right. But it's also, a fascinating time because like all the investors are personalities and all the people have personalities and all the stuff that goes on and but one of my favorite parts of the show is when they actually show somebody who got invested in in a previous season and what's happening now you know, or or like my kids, they'll go out to the store and they'll find something. Hey, we saw that on Shark Tank and now there's a big display and they're like, wow. And so I always like to tell them that, you know, it's one thing to get to a point where you're you have this business and then you're looking for investors who are gonna become part owners, but it's a whole other thing once you get an investor to actually make it. Right? And we have this tendency in our culture in our society to get focused on certain things as the finish line like you could imagine like getting on shark tank it's it's nationally syndicated so all these people see your product and then getting one of these investors to invest in you like that's the finish line but it's actually not that's just the next step in the journey what happens after that it's kind of like with marriage i always tell couples when they're getting married i always say listen i know you got to plan the wedding day it's really busy but that's not the finish line that's the starting line you know, we have a tendency to put so much emphasis on the, on the, the date, right? And, and so much of life is like we, we begin these journeys where we make a decision and something happens, and then, really, you start the, the journey, and that's when the races started. Like, before you get married, everything is spring training, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying spring training is bad, but it's like, that's just everything happens before you get married. So I always tell people like, don't just focus on the wedding day, you gotta build a foundation so that you can actually run the race of marriage. Same thing, like with business. We can do this all day long, right? It's like it's one thing to get a job, it's another thing to succeed at a job. And so much of what Jesus is wanting to do is he wants us not only to make decisions, but he actually wants us to follow him in the midst of the decisions we make so that we can really blossom and bear fruit. And Today, as we've been doing this amazing, I find it amazing, series through the book of Nehemiah that we're calling Honest, we're seeing how God is rebuilding the children of Israel after their time in exile. You know, and and one of the things I love so much about the series, as I always love about the scriptures, is that the Bible is always really honest about the struggles. You know, that's why one of the reasons that I know the Bible is true, because it's the only book where the people who are the main players, you see their flaws, like, if they were just writing a book to make everyone think that everyone was perfect, they would write it differently. Of course, we know that the only person in the Bible who doesn't have any flaws is Jesus, and that's why the grave had to give him back. He died on sins for the, for the sins of the world, and death couldn't hold him. He, he didn't belong there. But for everyone else, you see their flaws. You know, and, and, and we see in the book of Nehemiah, we have a tendency to think, man, rebuilding the people of God is going to be so easy. I mean, God is in it. Yes, God is in it, and it's hard. And there's issues involved. And so today we're going to see this beautiful section where not only are we are going to see people making decisions, but we're also going to see the wisdom that is asked of them in making their decisions that will make sure that they can succeed in the very decisions that they've made. So in order to get at this, I want you to open your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 10, Nehemiah chapter 10. If you brought your Bible with you, Then open that up. Nehemiah is between Ezra and Esther in what we call the Old Testament. In my Bible, it sits about about a quarter of the way through the the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, a physical Bible, uh, you can open up your phone, your favorite browser window, however you get at your smart devices, and type in Nehemiah chapter 10. I'm going to keep encouraging you. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. It's a great thing, you know. I always say, like, the Bible's called the sword, and, and anybody I know who's good with uh, any sort of weapons, which I am not, except a bass guitar, that's my weapon, you know what I mean? But even like, you know, people who, like, you have one that, you're, that you know in and out. Like, I was talking to somebody who's a, a gunsmith. He's got, I'm like, which one is the gun? He's like, oh, it's this one. Why is it? I just know how it feels in my hand. Like, there's all these things, because you get used to it. Same thing, like, this Bible I've had with me for, I don't know, like 15 years now. And it's like, I just like, I know where verses are on the page. I might not remember the address. I turn the page like it's right there because I've seen it so many times. So I want that for all of you. So bring your Bible with you. But if not, if you don't want to, your phone works too. Nehemiah 10. We're actually gonna take two and a half chapters today. Everyone breathe. <sighs> <sighs> Let's just jump in. That's funny. We were talking, we've been, pray- just pray for us as a staff. As we've been doing this series, trying to do two chapters in a clip is hard for me. There's so much stuff to say. They're like, what are you doing, doing two and a half chapters? You're crazy. I'm like, I know, crazy happy. Anyway, (laughs) you see how I did that? (laughs) So now, these were the names of the people who made this covenant. As they're back in the land, the walls have been rebuilt, and really the covenant was made to remind them, like, we are in relationship with God. It's called a covenant relationship. It's a relationship that has stipulations, right? And then we have this list of all of these people who signed on to the covenant. Now, I'm going to make a simple application. And it's don't think that because we just read, read a list of names, this isn't important. Because really the key is that each one of us needs to sign on the dotted line. You need to sign on The dotted line. See, what I mean by that is that for each one of us, God is inviting us into a relationship with him, a covenant that God has made with all of humanity that finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. And he invites us into life in his kingdom, the abundant life. And that invitation goes out to everybody. But the people who experience God's kingdom are the people who say, I want in. And, and, and they say, I'm going si- to sign on that dotted line. I'm going to say, I want to be a part of this. And it's only then that you get to experience who the Lord is. You know, it's funny how, you know, like when we get married, I remember when I was a, a, a wannabe pastor. I was, I, was in a, I was apprenticing to be a pastor. And I remember my pastor, John Henry Corcoran, who I love so much. i learned so much from him. He's a phenomenal mentor, great friend. And I remember one time he was doing a wedding, and I got to be like, you know, I just got to watch. And John Henry was really good. He's like, we're going. he's like, listen, just don't say anything. I was young, you know, and he's like, so don't say anything. I'm like, what if they say hi? He's like, well, you can say hi back. That's it. You know, he's like, just watch, you know, we were doing that. I do, you watch, we talk. Then I do, you help, we talk. And then you do, and I help, and we talk. And then you do, and I watch, and then we talk. And then you do, and someone else watches, and you guys talk. Like we were doing that discipleship process, right? And I remember we're going, he's like, and he had this big envelope. I'm like, on the drive in, I'm like, what's in the envelope? He's like, oh. That's the marriage license. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like, what do I need to know about that? He's like, whatever you do, you do not leave that ceremony without signing the marriage license. And I'm like, well, shouldn't the bride and groom do that? He's like, no. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, if you give it to the bride and groom, they're getting married. They don't want to think about this envelope. You hold it, you officiate the ceremony, you make sure they sign it, their witnesses sign it, you sign it, and you send it in. He's like, because you can get married if you don't sign the marriage license, according to the government, you're not married. I was like, oh, this is a good piece of advice, you know? And the idea here is that when somebody signs a marriage license, you are making that decision that we are entering this covenant relationship. There's going to be faithfulness there. Like we're committed to one another. We see God bringing us two, becoming one flesh. It's the same thing in Shark Tank when they make these deals with these these investors. At some point you sign that document and now there is a covenant relationship, a business relationship now where all of a sudden everybody has responsibilities. When an athlete signs a contract, and we do this all day long, you can be like, man, I got drafted until you sign the contract. You're technically not on the team. And the same thing is true with Jesus. That in order to follow Jesus, you need to first put your faith and trust in him. You know, the church in the church we call this evangelism. Evangelism is telling the good news and inviting people to receive Jesus. Now, what's amazing is is there's all this discussion within the church about like, well, should we give people an opportunity to receive Jesus? Here at Crossroads we say absolutely. We don't even argue with it. But they say, well, listen, but if people give their life to Jesus at an altar call, one year later... Only 10% of those people are walking with Jesus. That's what the statistics say, right? And so really what they're saying is, like, when you sign on the dotted line, that doesn't mean that you're going to be really following Jesus. Now, I think that's an important distinction, right? Because it's the same way. You can sign a marriage license and be a lousy spouse. You can sign a business contract and not follow through on it. So signing the dotted line isn't the whole story, but it is a necessary part of the story. So I remember I was reading this book by an author who I really love. I love reading, you know? And, he was, and, and the whole chapter was about how asking people to make decisions to follow Jesus doesn't make any sense because a year later, less than 10% of them are actually plugged into a church following Jesus. But then I had this thought, what percent of people who don't make a decision to follow Jesus are following him a year later? <laughs> you know what percent that is? Zero. And I'm like, so listen, I either get zero or 10%. Which one am I taking? 10% all day long. So listen, you need to make a decision to follow Jesus. And that's exactly what this this group of leaders here, right? The the Levites, the leaders, the civic leaders, the Levites and the priests, they're all, we are signing our name that we are in this covenant with the creator God to live in accordance with God's plans. And I want to encourage you to sign on the dotted line. That's in a lot of ways, that's what baptism is. Baptism is making a public declaration that I have put my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm here to tell you if nobody knows that you're a Christian, you probably aren't. You hear that, right? You don't want to be an undercover MI6, Mission Impossible kind of a Christian. It makes for great movies, but, like, you want to live as a Christian. I remember, and I, and I say this with all love in my heart, because my journey is not, like, always up and to the right. But I remember when I first got saved, and I was struggling to get off drugs because i have been doing drugs since I was a teenager. I remember telling the people I'd buy drugs from, listen, I'm following Jesus, and I don't want to do drugs anymore. And if we're friends at all, if I call you to buy drugs, please hang up on me. And I had one buddy of mine who was also a guy who had supplied me for years and years. He's like, bro, you're like my best customer. And I'm like, yeah, sorry, dude. But sure enough, you know what? I called him a couple times. He's like, Fusco, I love you, man. I'm gonna hang up now. And he hung up on me. Yeah, but you know why? Because I told him like, bro, like I have to change this. And, and there's a beauty in making it public. Not hiding it, not taking the light and putting it in in a basket, you know. It's like going public with it, saying, like, I am following Jesus. And there's nothing more humbling than when someone who doesn't believe in Jesus calls you on you not following Jesus. But that's actually a good thing. It's a good thing when people know what you stand for and who you are. And, of course, it says this this way in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. It says, commit your ways to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. So you sign on the dial and then you commit, you're like, Lord, Lord I'm following you. And I love that old, that old hymn. We don't sing it anymore. It's not really a hymn. It's just an old like simple worship song like the, the cross before me, the world behind me. What's the next line? No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, yet I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. See, like... I realized on the day that I married my bride Lynn that I was committing my life to her and nobody else for the rest of my life. And there was no turning back. I was just talking to somebody about it. a young man. I'm like, bro, man, you needed to take all that stuff off the menu. Before you were saved, all that stuff you thought was on the menu, all it does is give you food poisoning, soul poisoning, all that stuff comes off the menu now. You gotta take, that is not an option for you. They discontinued that product like Taco Bell off, because you're living different now. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, if there was ever a time we need the people of God to sign on the dotted line and say, this is the way I'm heading, and nothing's going to deter me from it, because Jesus is real, and all this stuff is passing away around us. So it begins with signing on the dotted line, but as I already said, signing on the dotted line doesn't complete the whole journey. Now, for all the people who didn't sign the covenant physically, they made a decision to bind themselves to the same covenant. And really what you start to begin to realize is that it's one thing to sign on the dotted line, but then there's the next step that we need to take. And I would say it to you this way, that like the children of Israel here, you and I, you need to let your life be different. You need to let your life be different. Because really what goes on here is for the people who are living there, they got together and they said, hey, we're going to walk in God's law, like like we're gonna make a decision, and we're gonna walk in God's law, and then they, there's all these different, you know, uh, different stipulations that we see here. These these ways that they're separating themselves unto God, as opposed to the way the world lives. And in a lot of ways, this is the struggle, the perpetual struggle of the life of the follower of Jesus in every generation, is what does it look like for us to be different from the culture in which we live, but not isolated from it in a way that we can impact it for the cause of the kingdom? And you see here, there's all of these different ideas of how they're going to be separate. Notice there's this idea against intermarriage, that they're going to marry. Now, a lot of people struggle in our day and age, especially in our day and age where, you know, there's all these different religions and all these different things. What's the deal with that? Well, the idea is that ultimately the Bible teaches that what somebody wants from their spouse is not their spouse's love. They actually want the love of Jesus coming through their spouse. And anyone who just married for love, you realize that only gets you so far, right? Because once the novelty wears off, then real life happens when the honeymoon is over or, or as a I remember Jerry Garcia singing, the thrill is gone. The thrill is gone away. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so what, you, what I've learned is that I love my bride, but really in my marriage, it's Jesus' love that I really need. And I'm here to tell you that's what my wife really needs as well. She doesn't need my love. It's God's love mediated through me. And I'm here to tell you somebody can't give you what they don't have. They can't give you what they don't have. And so the idea of the prohibition against intermarriage is that ultimately once the love, once the once the newness the, the the young love wears off what you really need is jesus's love coming through your spouse and without that things get messed and don't miss every one of our spouses if you're married you know this and if you're not married you will learn this your spouse exerts tremendous influence in your life tremendous influence you take on the qualities of your spouse, for good or for bad. The number of times I know people who love Jesus, their spouse doesn't. And th- how do we navigate that? Obviously, Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians all about how do we navigate some of that stuff. So right away, it's just really like, hey, listen, we're not going to intermarry. We're, we're, we're going to make sure that we're marrying people who hold the deepest, truest things that we value. doesn't mean that we, we hate other people. We just realize marriage is challenging on its own. Right, And so you have that. You have uh, discussions here about Sabbath-keeping. Now, why is Sabbath-keeping important? Well, simply because Sabbath-keeping existed to remind humans that we are not only human doings. We are human beings. I think it was Abraham Heschel, the, the Orthodox rabbi, who said, six days we work the earth, but the seventh day our soul is for God. And the issue that we have is that we struggle to feel that will God provide for us the sabbath law is god says look you can rest and i will provide for you but now it becomes a walk of faith do we trust that we can take a day off and the world will still work you no know, it's an amazing thing you learn and it was funny my dad told me this when he retired been working in a, in a company for a long long time he's like yeah so he's like i retired and he's like and I, for, I thought i forgot something in the office so i came back i retired on a friday he's like i came back on a monday There was a new nameplate on the door, and all my stuff was gone. He's like, "I I thought they couldn't live without me. They already moved on the next business day. But what happens is we get these inflated senses of who we are. And really the Sabbath is designed to teach us that, listen, God is our source, not the amount of work that we do. It doesn't mean we don't work hard. What it means is we don't trust our work. We trust in the finished work of the Lord. So, Sabbath keeping is essential. And obviously, for the children of Israel, they ended up in Babylonian exile because of 70 cycles of not keeping the land Sabbath. You can read about that in the book of Jeremiah. So, Sabbath keeping. And then, of course, the idea of the giving of the first fruits. Now, again, the giving of the first fruits, same idea. We have the same issue today that the children of Israel had thousands of years ago, is that we want to trust the bottom line in our checkbook, not trust the living God who provides for people. And so the idea of giving of your first fruits, and really the idea of the, is like God gets the first fruits of everything. Why? Because God is our source, and it's all his. And I, if I want to tell you, what, like, you want to live differently than this world, because like, listen, I love the fact that we live in this world. And I realize we're living in a material world and good old Madonna said that we are material girls and all that stuff. And you know, and I like my stuff just like the next person. But here's the deal. It's like when you give God your first fruits, you realize that all the stuff doesn't satisfy, God satisfies. And when you give God the first fruits, you order your whole life around God's provision, not just the mindless accumulation of things. Like, I laugh in our community here, I see so many, uh, so many self-storage places going up. <laughs> uh, I told my kids, I'm like, if we ever rent a self-storage, we got to throw everything in the self-storage out. Now, don't get, I get sometimes, like, you, you have a loved one who passed away, they have all the stuff, and, you, you know, I, I get there's some of that stuff, but by and large, listen, if your stuff don't fit in your house, you got too much stuff. Plain and simple.
1: Jesus is... Sabbath is a foreign concept in our culture, but in today's message, Pastor Daniel urged you to incorporate the ideas of slowing down and Sabbath into the regular rhythms of your life. Not only will it help you to cut out busyness and choose to rest, but Sabbath is all about living out the reality that Jesus is the one who holds you together. It's the reminder that he provides all you need. You don't make your life work. He does that. Sabbath allows you to be the human being you were created to be in the first place.
0: Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world, and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life, and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at CrossroadsChurch.net or find me on Facebook Live.
1: We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're
0: doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us.
1: Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will talk more about how God wants you to live separate from the culture that surrounds you. You'll discover how the ideas of simplicity and first fruits play into this. Pastor Daniel will lay out God's vision for how the church should be a safe place for all people to run to when the world is hard. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Honest. Until then, may God bless.